0: Take your copy of God's Word and open it to the Book of the Revelation, chapter three, verses seven through thirteen. Tonight's message is entitled "Philadelphia, the Church That Was Faithful." Revelation chapter three, verses seven through thirteen. I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word as you follow along in your copy of God's Word. Perhaps your Bible is not in hand, and by way of uh, your uh, just a, a a Bible that you would carry from place to place. Maybe it's on your phone. If you have a phone and you have your Bible app, turn it on and turn it to Revelation chapter 3. It's very important, just a, a, a word to you about understanding the Scriptures as we read through, carefully follow along as I read through this section of Scripture. And uh, don't be afraid to mark in your Bible uh, make notes that will help you to learn And then uh, certainly having a piece of paper there handy where you can copy down some notes will help learn as well. So let's look now, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know That I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name He who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray you bless this word tonight. Speak through your servant to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Because churches are made up of people, the kinds of people within the church will largely determine the characteristics of the congregation. For this reason, not all churches are the same. Some congregations are filled with people who are highly educated. Others have large numbers of people who are creative. Still others have many members who are musically gifted. Although every church is different and possesses strengths and weaknesses, one thing that should be characterized in every congregation is faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul was talking about the responsibility to proclaim the message of Christ when he said these words. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. All churches are not the same, but all churches are expected to be faithful. We have studied five of the seven letters written by Christ to the seven churches in Asia Minor each church had certain things that stood out about them. For example, Ephesus was the church that left her first love. Smyrna was the church that suffered. Pergamum was the church that compromised. Thyatira was the church that sin corrupted. And Sardis was the church that was dead. We now turn our focus to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The church that was faithful. This little church did not have the advantages of some of the larger congregations. But it had what was most important. Faithfulness. This kind of church is what we need to be. This is a good example, good model for us as a people to follow. If we will strive to be faithful to Christ... I believe that everything else that we're striving to do and all the things that we hope to accomplish will fall into place. As we begin to look at the church at Philadelphia, let me take just a moment to point out to you the value of being faithful and challenge you to aim to be faithful servants of Christ just like the congregation here at Philadelphia. We begin tonight by... Looking at the church, the examination of the church at Philadelphia. At the very onset, as is customary in these letters, we see, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. The angel is mentioned in verse 7. Christ revealed his messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor through his apostle John. The book containing the seven letters was delivered to the seven churches by the messengers. The term angel or messenger in verse 7 is referring to the pastor of the church at Philadelphia. The pastor read the words of Christ to an entire congregation in a similar way that I'm reading to you tonight. Or I, I just read a few moments ago that section of scripture. The messenger, the The angel of the church, so to speak. The pastor would stand and proclaim this letter that was delivered to them. So the angel is mentioned. And then verse 7, we see the church also is referenced. Information about the church at Philadelphia is limited. As with the other churches we have studied, this church was probably planted because of Paul's ministry at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 verse 10 informs us that this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Ignatius, an early church father, traveled through Philadelphia heading to Rome where he would be martyred. He later wrote a letter to the church containing instruction and encouragement once he passed through that way believers from Philadelphia were killed for their faith they were persecuted put to death along with polycarp the church lasted until the middle of the 14th century when they were overtaken by Muslims verse 7 we also see that the city itself is mentioned Philadelphia Of the seven cities, Philadelphia was the youngest. It was founded by one of the kings of Pergamon, King Eumenes, or King Attalus II, sometime after 186 B.C. Philadelphos was the nickname of Attalus II because of his love for his brother. As a result, the city was named Philadelphia, meaning city of brotherly love. The city was 28 miles southeast of Sardis and 48 miles from Laodicea. Philadelphia stood on an 800 feet high hill. The city was prosperous. It was located at the junction of several important trade roads and came to be known as the gateway to the east. The city became an important center for Greek culture and language. Philadelphia was instrumental in spreading Hellenism. That is the Greek culture. Now that's a very important note to make. The reason that it's important is because the the spread of Hellenism throughout the area helped to advance the gospel. This was helpful in advancing the gospel due to the use of the Greek language. Volcanic activity was common in the region of this city. The volcanic ash helped to provide the city with rich soil that was perfect for agriculture. Grapes were grown in abundance until Domitian ordered the vineyards to be destroyed so that they would not be in competition with the grapes that were produced in Rome. This order left the citizens feeling betrayed and this was economically devastating to Philadelphia. The volcanic benefits came with a price because in 17 AD a severe earthquake struck the region destroying Philadelphia and Sardis and 10 other cities. The city was in such destruction that Rome exempt them from paying taxes for five years For years following the earthquake, the people lived in fear due to afterquakes that shook the region. The Emperor Tiberius provided resources to rebuild the city. The residents showed their appreciation by temporarily changing the name of the city to Neo-Caesarea, meaning the new city of Caesar. Later, the city changed its name again to Flavia, to show honor to the ruling Roman emperor and his family. The city would continue to be referred to by both Philadelphia and Flavia through the third century. And then in verse 7, notice we come to the Lord. The Bible says, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will shut opens says this. The five previous letters have each contained a description of Christ that was taken from the vision recorded in Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. Here Christ draws not directly from that vision. He does however describe himself in three ways and these are three important notations to make. First of all verse 7 Christ refers to himself as he who is holy. The word holy is unique to God. It speaks of his character and conduct that is perfect, pure, sinless, and separate from anything else that is corrupt. He is undeniable. He is undefied. He is unblemished in his nature. This quality of God is presented throughout the Scriptures. We see it in both the Old and New Testaments. In the Bible, holiness is ascribed to God alone. For example, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, God is identified as holy, holy, holy. The Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The word holy is used three times to emphasize the holiness of God just to the extent how holy he is. That was the way the Hebrews would write for emphasis by repeating something three times and of course God is holy. The New Testament uses this term as a messianic title for the Lord Christ. We see it in Mark chapter 1 verse 24, Luke chapter Four, verse 34 and john chapter 6 verse 69 with christ using this term to describe himself he is declaring himself to be god this is unmistakable he also says in verse 7 of himself who is true the terms holy and true are used together throughout revelation to describe god We see it in Revelation chapter 6 verse 10. Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. Revelation chapter 16 verse 7. Revelation chapter 19 verse 2. And Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. Christ's use of the word true emphasizes that he is the true Messiah. He is genuine and authentic. Then you'll notice in verse 7, he also says, referring to himself, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. The word key symbolizes authority. The name David is a reference to the messianic office that he holds. These terms are used together to emphasize that Christ is the Messiah who possesses the power and authority over all things. He walks among his churches purifying them of sin. He himself is the one who has power over death, hell, and the grave. Only he can open and shut the door to the kingdom. He has full sovereign control over all things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This almighty, holy Christ is about to reveal his evaluation of the church at Philadelphia. Now we move from the examination of the church to the evaluation of the church. We begin to see this in verse 8 and it goes all the way through verse 11. Notice, first of all, the actions of the believers. Verse 8 speaks of this as Christ says, I know your deeds. That's a sobering statement, is it not? To think about how Christ knows our deeds. He knows our good deeds and our bad deeds. The Christians in the church at Philadelphia were comforted to know that Christ knew their deeds and offered no rebuke. He was pleased with this church because they were faithful. He mentions four areas where they demonstrated their faithfulness. We see them here. Verse 8 speaks about, first of all, because you have little power, This church was a small congregation. Let me stop here and just say, do not underestimate a small congregation. I'm very thankful for small congregations. I was raised going to New Harmony Grove down in Atkinson County. A very small church. But it was there I heard the gospel faithfully preached by Otis Meeks. Sunday after Sunday, as a little boy, under the pew, a little bit plain, but listening. And it was there I heard week after week the gospel proclaimed. It was there that I was in a Sunday school class and the teachers stood and, and taught us as best they could. It was in that little church that the Lord called me to salvation. I felt the call to go beyond being a Christian and being a servant of the Lord. And I'm thankful for small congregations. Most of the congregations across the world are small congregations. Now, that's not to take away from large congregations. God uses large congregations. Any small congregation should be a growing congregation. God wants our churches to grow and to flourish. He wants us to be the churches he's called us to be. Certainly, that is true. But from a human perspective, this church at Philadelphia did not look capable of accomplishing much for God. This is true not just of churches, this is true of individuals, is it not? Sometimes we look at people from the exterior and we assume that they do not possess the power, personality, or strength to accomplish great works for God. But God sometimes uses people who appear to be incapable in order to do tremendously powerful things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses, I should say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 29, the apostle Paul told the church at Corinth that God specializes in using weak things. He said, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not So that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. About all this little church had to offer was their faithfulness to God. And that was enough. That was enough. Verse 8 also says. And have kept my word. This church was also faithful to obey God's word. Considering the pressure they faced from the culture around them, obedience was not easy. Nevertheless, they lived out the truths of God's word in their daily lives. So they're commended. Verse 8 also tells us, And have not denied my name. Dedication was another way these believers demonstrated their faithfulness to God. They refused to deny Christ even though they faced persecution. Their words and deeds reflected their love and devotion to the name of Christ. Then we read in verse 10, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. The Christians at Philadelphia were faithful to Christ by showing perseverance in times of hardship. They did not allow the struggles of life to weaken their faith. We move from the actions of the believers to the assurances from Christ. In verse 8 we read, Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut due to the faithfulness of the church at Philadelphia, Christ gave them some assurances. First, the sovereign Christ said that he had provided them with an opportunity for service. I mentioned earlier that Philadelphia was the center for the spread of Hellenism, that is the Greek culture. Here, Christ used similar terminology, but with a different application. He opened a door for this church to spread the gospel. I also believe the reference to an open door that no one can shut applies to the way these Christians were treated by the Jews. Early believers met in synagogues. They were first viewed as a Jewish sect. As time passed, the Jews began to shut Christians out of the synagogues. Because the synagogue was the center for social and family life, this was a devastating blow. Not only were Christians shut out of the synagogue, but their names were removed from the roll book. Perhaps this is what was alluded to in the church at Sardis. That letter, remember, that we read recently, when Christ promised the believers there that he would not erase his name from the book of life. We read that in chapter 3, verse 5 of this book. Being removed from the book in the synagogue was dangerous because the Jews were not required to worship the emperor. Anyone's name not in their book had to say, Caesar is Lord. Since the Christians could not worship Caesar, their lives were at risk when their names were removed from the book in the synagogue. Then notice in verse 9 we read these words, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Christ also assures this faithful church that the Jews who had been persecuting them would be converted. Christ identifies these Jews as the synagogue of Satan. He used these same words to describe the hostile Jews in Smyrna, if you recall. We read that in Revelation chapter 2 verse 9. Just like in Smyrna, the Jewish community was inflicting painful persecution on the Christians in Philadelphia. The synagogue, a place intended for worshiping God, had become a synagogue of Satan because they had rejected Christ the Messiah, Christ disputed their claim that they were Jews and said they lie. The Apostle Paul explained the real meaning of being a Jew in the book of Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. Let me read it for you. He said, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart. By the spirit. Not by the letter. And his praise is not from men but from God. Speaking of Jews. Christ said. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. This is a description of Jews who had persecuted the faithful believers in Philadelphia. Here they are pictured as being before the feet, bowing down humbly before these believers this promise will ultimately be fulfilled during the Great Tribulation, when the Jews will come to accept Christ as their Messiah. We can read about this in Romans chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, Zechariah chapters 8 through 14, and Revelation chapters 6 through 19 and and it won't be long, we'll be there in the book of Revelation to see this and more to tell. But what an interesting time this will be as this prophecy unfolds. And then notice in verses 10 and 11, we read this. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Notice that, from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Another assurance Christ gave to the church at Philadelphia was to keep them from the hour of testing. This is a reference to the seven years of tribulation spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and Revelation chapters 6 through 19. Christ promised to rescue his church from this most difficult time on earth. I believe his rescue plan is the rapture of the church. Spoken of in John 14, verses 1 through 4. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 through 54 and First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. There are three views as to when Christ will return for his church in relation to the tribulation. Some believe the rapture will be post-tribulational. That is that it will occur after the tribulation. Others believe the rapture will be mid tribulational, that is, that it will occur in the middle of the tribulation. I believe, as do many, in a pre tribulational rapture that Christ will come for his church before the tribulation begins. This promise is not limited to the church at Philadelphia. Notice what he says. Is about to come upon the whole world. This refers to a time that will encompass the whole earth. Also Christ tells these believers. I am coming quickly. This statement means that Christ's coming is imminent. That is it can happen at any moment. And when it happens, it will occur suddenly. He said, behold, I am coming quickly. What a great promise this is. What a great assurance this is for the church at Philadelphia. Those Christians who were struggling, who were persecuted, who felt the pressure of the culture forcing them from without to conform they withstood, they were faithful to the Lord. They are an example for us here at First Baptist tonight. They are an example for all Christians. Now let's look at the expectations for the church as we continue here. In chapter 3, we're in verse 11, midway of that verse. We see first of all that there's this expectation, expectation to hold fast in the faith. Christ expected these believers to continue to be faithful. He said, hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you have. They had served the Lord during difficult times. And more persecution was on the way. And friend, I think we need to be reminded that that is happening here in the good old USA. Uh, We... The church in America have experienced some relatively easy times for much of our history. But we begin to see the tide is turning. Persecution is on the rise and it will be a a time of testing for the church in America. I think we will be able to see as time goes along who are the authentic Christians. When the fire begins to burn, the dross will fade away and the pure gold will emerge and as persecution intensifies and more and more pressures put on the church those who are only believers on the surface those who who proclaim that they have a faith but yet they have never truly experienced Christ I think they will flee the church Let us remain faithful to the Lord. Let us hold fast to our faith, no matter how intense the times come, no matter how difficult the persecution is. And friend, I'm telling you, it is coming. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. So there is the expectation to hold fast in the faith. Also to hold on to your crown. We see this in verse 11 as well. Notice they were not instructed to hold on to their salvation because true faith will persevere until the end. The reason they were told to hold on was so that no one will take your crown. That's what he says here in verse 11. They could not lose their salvation, but they could lose their reward. Folks, we as Christians, we have a lot at stake. Sometimes we think that when we all get to heaven, we're all going to experience the same thing. That's just simply not the case. Now, heaven will be great because Jesus is there. That's what what's going to be so great about heaven. Won't be discreet. The, it will not be the streets of gold. It will not be all the other things we talk about—the gates and the, and even seeing your loved ones. I'm telling you, when we see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, and some of your loved ones have. Have seen the face of Jesus. I think about my dear mother who passed away a few weeks ago. She has now seen the face of the Lord Jesus. Along with my dad. And they realize all the struggle they went through. All the difficulty of life has has now faded away. All the suffering and the hardship that they went through. Through their almost 89 years of life. Now, will be remembered no more in the presence of Christ. What a joy, what a reward that is, what a blessing that is to know. There's coming a day after the rapture of the church known as the judgment seat of Christ. That's when the church will stand before Christ, not to determine whether or not we're saved, we will be with the Lord, but to determine our reward. And we need to be faithful. Just like this church here at Philadelphia. What an example they were. These are expectations that Christ spoke to this church that apply to us. Hold fast in the faith and hold on to your crown. And what a pleasure will be when we take that crown. And we're able to have something in our hands. Representing a life that we live for Christ. That he enabled us to to experience and persevere through and we're able to worship him by taking those crowns and laying them there at that beautiful throne where the light of God's radiance is so consuming and what joy that will be and then we come now to the exhortation to the church we see it in verses 12 and 13 there is the promise that is mentioned verse 12 he who overcomes. Christ addressed all true believers. First John chapter five, verse five reads, "Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Christ is the Son of God? That is who are the overcomers. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. Verse 12 tells us. The use of the term pillar speaks about permanence and stability. This was encouraging news to these faithful Christians who had been banned from the synagogue and persecuted by the Jews. The promise is that the faithful will have an eternal place in Christ's kingdom. He says in verse 12, look at it there on down in that verse, "And I will write his and I will write on him the name of my God." True Christians are lovingly possessed by Christ. He paid the high price of his own blood to purchase our salvation if you ever wonder about your worth look at the cross look at the cross look at what Jesus did so that you could be with him eternally and if you had been the only person in need of salvation Christ would have died for you and then he says in verse 12 as well And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. Christians are also citizens of his heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And I can hardly wait until we get to that place in the book of Revelation where we study about the new Jerusalem. I'm telling you friend I can hardly wait. I'm looking forward to the millennial kingdom. And then I'm looking forward to seeing the heavenly city. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of the heavens. That is going to be the celestial city. That is where the throne of God will reside. We will have access To that city. And we will also have access on this renewed earth. The Bible says there will be new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And he says that here as he refers to this. That believers will rule with him. And reign with him forever. Christians understand who you are. Understand what God has promised you. You are heirs to the kingdom of God. You're not going to live on the outskirts of the city in some little shanty town. Oh no friend, you're going to be dwelling with him ruling and reigning with Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then verse 12, he says, and my new name, God's name is important Because it reveals something about himself. His new name will be given to believers to provide them with a greater revelation of his glory. Now we don't know everything that there is to know about God. You need to understand that we can't comprehend everything that there is to know about God. I've been married for 25 years. I can't even comprehend everything about my wife. Now what I do know is good. But there's new things to learn. And she's she's a human being. What about the creator, God Almighty, that spoke the world and the universe into existence? God reveals himself. And you'll find this in the scriptures There's this progressive revelation as God reveals more and more of himself. It's like uh, an artist who has this beautiful painting that's covered up. It's covered by a, a sheet. And as it's revealed, he begins to pull away the covering and you begin to see the work of art. Slowly it's uncovered. God uncovers himself to the degree that we can understand this glorious being. This being that has no one to compare himself to. This is the God that we serve. And his name helps us to understand something about his holy character and the glory radiating from him. This is the promise of our God. And then finally we see the plea, verse 13. And you'll see this, and you've seen it in the letters all the way through. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All of these letters contain an appeal from Christ to pay close attention to his message This plea is not only to these churches, but to Christians throughout the ages. It is to us here at First Baptist tonight and those who are listening to this message. The church at Philadelphia is an excellent example of a healthy church. Like this church, we need to strive to be faithful to the one who has saved us. We can be faithful. We may not have a lot of money. We may not be the most talented. We may not be the most attractive. But we can be faithful. Steve Green wrote the words to the song, Find Us Faithful. Here's the chorus of this inspiring song. May it be true in us as individuals and us as A body. Oh may all who come behind us. Find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave. Lead them to believe. And the lives we live. Inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge that it contains to be faithful to you as we travel through this weary land, as pilgrims heading to the celestial city. There's conflict. Hardship, trial, disappointment, persecution along the way. And our faith is being tested, it's being tried because you are perfecting us and you are perfecting our faith. But may we be faithful above all things. And one day, we know not when, but it will come soon, we will realize. Your glory in ways we can't even fathom. And our eyes will see your glorious face. And it will be worth it all. And then our questions will be answered. Our hearts will be healed. Our hope will be realized. Our faith will be worth it. And our love will be strong. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your encouragement tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Jesus,